Well, good morning. No, he is not in charge. But then again, I'm not either. The Lord is. <laughs> um, and, and it's really not new. It's the first time he's been up here in the pulpit since the COVID pandemic, I suppose. So, uh, ooh, spit. He spit up here. No, I'm kidding. All right. Um, but uh, it's good to see you this morning. I'm glad that you're here in the house of the Lord, uh, that we have become the church Gathered, We are the church when we come together to worship and seek our Lord. And I pray that this day you will hear from Him. And that the words you hear will be planted deep within your heart by His grace. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray together before we go any further. Um, precious Father, Lord, um, there is none like you. God, you are great and you are almighty and you are holy, holy, holy. And Father, we are not. And we need you to touch our lives. Father, I pray just as we sung that Lord, you would open the eyes of our heart. God, open our hearts that we might see You and see You rightly, Father. Open our hearts like You opened Lydia's heart, Father. I pray that, God, You will take Your Word and, Father, You will plant it deep within our heart. Father, I pray this day that, Father, all distractions would be set aside. That, Lord, You would capture our attention, and You would capture our minds, and You would capture our hearts. Lord, I pray that as we plant our feet in the Beatitudes today, that, Father, You would give us a snapshot of our own heart, of our own condition. Lord, I pray that uh, You would speak for me. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. And amen. Well, I would invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew's Gospel chapter number 5. I'm going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 12 to you again, uh, which are the Beatitudes. Uh, last Sunday we took a little bit different turn Sunday morning, but we went to the Beatitude Sunday night, and we'll pick up where we, we left off in here. Um, but beginning in verse 1 of Matthew, the fifth chapter, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 10 actually ends the, the Beatitudes. Jesus then gives an extra add-on explaining and talking about persecution when He says in verse 17, Blessed are to you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on My account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For they, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's Word. Now, many of us in this room have had to have, at some point in time, a specialized test known as an echocardiogram. Anybody ever had an echocardiogram? Okay. Echocardiogram, for those of you that are not familiar with it, it's, it's a specialized test used to examine the heart. It's different from an EKG. EKG um, picks up and measures your, the electrical rhythms of the heart, but the echocardiogram actually takes a picture of the heart using ultrasound. Now, I actually have had two of these in my life, one about 10 years ago and one when I was a teenager. They come in and they, they goop all this cold gel on your chest because that helps those waves to be able to get the picture. And, and they take a wand, which I think is technically called a transducer, and they, they rub it around on, on, your, on the area of your chest where your heart is. And if you look up on a little screen there, you can see your heart beating. I didn't like seeing that. <laughs> But you could see it beat. You could see the blood that would flow through the chambers. And it, it helps them to see that your heart is functioning properly. It gives you a picture of the heart. You can see the blood pumping through the chambers. Well, why am I telling you this? What, what in the world does this have to do with the Beatitudes? Well, guess what? It has everything to do with it. You say, what? It has everything to do with it. The Beatitudes, as I, as I have told you, are like, they, 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 they give us a picture of what the true Christian heart looks like. Of what the heart that has been saved by grace, what it looks like. How it appears. And so, the Beatitudes, as we walk through them, are actually giving us an echocardiogram of our heart. It's showing us the condition of our heart, whether our heart has been truly touched and affected by grace or not. Um, we see if grace, God's grace, saving grace, is flowing through the chambers of our true heart, our true self. And so these can be very sobering for us. We've been doing this now for five weeks. Five weeks we've been doing this. We've been applying this, this spiritual ultrasound, so to speak, to our own hearts. Um, they are, and, and I pray that our hearts, we see our hearts are reflecting these things. Not because we work these up, but because God has touched our hearts supernaturally. That we would see that we have within us, in our being, what Brenda Knight called last week as she was quoting some other preacher, uh, the attitudes of grace. That we would see these in our hearts and lives. 
Now, when we got to week two, we began to we, we looked at them first. We looked at them as a whole unit. Then we began to look at them individually in week two. And, and we, uh, we just simply following the logic and the preaching of Jesus, we, we started out, we saw, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, and the emphasis in the Greek and the original is, for theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. And so we looked at that and we saw that that this is where we know that salvation has begun in our hearts. This is where the entrance to the kingdom of God begins. When we, we realize that we are, grace has made us worth that we are poor in spirit. We have nothing to offer God. Nothing but, but sin to offer God. We have nothing to offer God. And so we recognize we need another. And that other is Jesus Christ. And then each of these seem to logically flow out of the other one because we're poor in spirit and we realize we have nothing to offer God but sin and shame. Then we begin to mourn. Grace leads us to mourn and to weep over our personal sin because it has grieved the heart of God. And so we, we saw that. We deal with that. And we... We, we enter a time of this godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And then flowing out of that, we saw last Sunday night, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, meekness is actually a, a complex spiritual idea. I'm not going to reteach all of that to you. But what I will say this, is what I, for, for this purpose, our purpose this morning is realizing that meekness is, is in a way we have been humbled because we have nothing to offer God. Because we have nothing but sin to offer God. And we mourn over that sin. And because of our condition, we are humbled before God. We, we become meek before God and meeker before our fellow man. Well, this morning... Today we're coming to verse number 6. And verse 6 is really kind of a change of direction. Even though we're still getting an echocardiogram of our heart, Jesus is changing the direction and what is changing the direction just a little bit. Whereas uh, the first three Beatitudes primarily show what we look like in the inside as we're coming to the Savior. These remaining Beatitudes show us what flows out of us because we have come to the Savior. And so we're beginning to see, whereas one shows, so to speak, the, the chambers where the blood is flowing in our heart, do you have the others where the, where the blood's flowing out of our heart? Well, we have seen in these first ones where these attitudes of grace have flown in, and now we're beginning to see what they, well, how these attitudes of grace flow out of us, inside of ourselves. And that is what we're seeing as we look here. This morning, verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's profound. Quite literally, he is saying, approved. 
happy, eternally happy, are only those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they and only they will be full and will be satisfied. That's pretty big deal. Now, Jesus did not say happy and are you who are hungering after happiness and you'll be satisfied in your pursuit of happiness. He didn't, he didn't say that. He didn't say happy or, 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 or those of you who hunger and thirst after the blessings of God. And it, He didn't say that. He said happy are you or approved are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness for you will be full or satisfied. Pretty big deal. And I tell you, it is the result. What this is talking about is the result of God's grace. Of God's grace. The poor in spirit who inherit a kingdom, the mourner who is comforted, the meek who will inherit the earth, they are those who will in turn hunger and thirst after righteousness but what is this more importantly as we consider what this is does my heart reflect this because I'm going to tell you something religion can't produce this in you religion cannot make your true inner self reflect these qualities only having been changed and affected by the gospel of God's grace as is seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ only 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 that can make these a reality in your life so what are these what is what is this reality well I, I, I dug and meditated on this scripture and marinated in this scripture all week. I have two questions I want to ask of it. I was going to ask both of them this morning, and then I realized we'll be here till five in the afternoon. So I decided I would only ask one of these questions of our text this morning and answer them. And some of you said, well, praise God, and we'll come back tonight and answer the second question. All right. But the question is, I look at this text the two questions, I'll go ahead and give you the two questions. It's very simple. Two questions I would interrogate verse 6 with. Number one, what is the righteousness that we're to be hungering after? We're told there's a righteousness that we're to be hungering and thirsting after because when we hunger and thirst after this righteousness, we will be full. Love, see, what is this righteousness? And then we'll come back tonight and answer the second question, which is quite simple. What is this hungering and thirsting that we are to be doing for this righteousness that we are told we are to be hungering and thirsting for? So let's think about that this morning. Question number one. What is the righteousness that we are to hunger after? This is a pretty important issue. This is a Pretty significant question. I, I would suggest to you this is a eternally significant question. What is it? What, what are we dealing with here? Well, when Jesus is telling us that 
We're to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It can't be, it cannot be, it cannot be the righteousness like that of the scribes and the Pharisees. In that same chapter, chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us, Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled, verse number 6. You progress down to verse number 20 in the context of that same chapter. He says this, he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never, no how, no way enter the kingdom of heaven. So the scribes and the Pharisees had some kind of righteousness, but that righteousness will not get you entrance into the kingdom of heaven. It will not fill you. It will not satisfy you. So it cannot be the righteousness that they had. So what is the righteousness that he's talking about? Because I fear that a lot of people hungering after the righteousness like that of a scribe and a Pharisee, and they will wake up and be totally blown away on the day of judgment. So what is this? This righteousness. What is it? Well, whatever it is, it is something we're to be seeking after. Jesus, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, if you progress on to chapter 6 and on down to verse 33, He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. There's this longing for this righteousness. And all other things will be added to you. So it's something we have to seek after. So what is it? Well, I would offer you this morning... Three aspects of this righteousness that we're to hunger and thirst after. I would offer you three aspects of this righteousness. And in order to help you see the righteousness that we are to hunger after. The righteousness that will leave us satisfied. The righteousness that we hunger after because we have we are poor in spirit, and we are mourning, and we are meek. What, what is this righteousness? Well, first of all, this righteousness refers to a person. Hey, some of you are looking at me funny. Hold on, okay? First of all, this righteousness refers to a person. See, a lot of people see the word righteousness and they automatically assume the word only refers to righteous conduct or behavior. Now that plays a role in what this is, but that's not the main role. And we'll get to that role in a minute. That, that does play a role, but it's not, this is not simply about hungering and thirsting for some code of morality. If that was all, if that was all the righteousness in verse 6 refers to, then Jesus would have never said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter heaven. Because the scribes and the Pharisees had a hunger and thirst for a code of morality. And for rules. And for regulations. 
They had that. Matter of fact, scribes and Pharisees, they were the poster children of right living in their day. Now they're, at least on the outside. I mean, on the outside, you know, these were the people, they didn't drink, they didn't cuss, they didn't smoke, they didn't sleep around, and you better believe they didn't hang around those that did. These were the types of people they were. They had an external righteousness. Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, what I want you to understand is, I want you to understand that this righteousness does not begin with a life practice, but it begins with a living person. Now, it may end up in a life practice, but it does not start there. It begins with a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Do you know that righteousness is simply a reflection of the righteous one? Do you realize that one of the titles of Jesus is the Righteous One? For example, in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, John writes this. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. He is righteous. So this hungering and thirsting for righteousness begins with a longing for the righteous one, Jesus Christ. When Jesus tells us where to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He's not telling us to first seek a moral code, but to seek the righteous one. We seek a person, Jesus, and in seeking that person we're satisfied. And the, right, the righteous one is the supreme satisfier of the souls. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees went after the moral code, but they refused Christ. Jesus said, over in John's Gospel, chapter number 5, verse number 39, talking about people like the Pharisees and the scribes, He said to them, He said, You search the Scriptures. You search the Scriptures because you think by the Scriptures you have eternal life. Yet, you refuse to come to Me. And those Scriptures testify to Me. You see, they were pursuing the wrong thing. They were not pursuing Jesus Christ. So number one, this righteousness refers to a person. It begins with a person. It begins with the seeking of this person and a hungering after this person and a thirsting after this person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Number two, this righteousness refers to a position. It refers to a position. Remember, the righteousness... This righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, how righteous were the scribes and the Pharisees? 
How righteous were they? Well, let's think. They were students of the Scriptures. They were students of the Scriptures. They, matter of fact, the Pharisees had much, if not most, of the Old Testament memorized. I mean, they were walking concordances. They had most of it committed to memory. The Pharisees taught and explained those Scriptures in the local synagogues. Then you had people like the scribes. The scribes took careful pain to meticulously copy the Scriptures. To meticulously copy them word for word. They didn't have copy machines and printers. They had their hands. And they they made sure that they wrote it down word for word. Every jot and tittle, every Hebrew letter, right and accurate. That's why when we make archaeological discoveries like the Dead Sea Scrolls and we find copies of something like the book of Isaiah, we compare those copies of the book of Isaiah to other copies that we have found and we see how accurate they are. That was the work of the scribes. In making sure scriptures were copied accurately. The Pharisees were so worried about breaking God's law that they came up with hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of extra rules and regulations to help them keep the rules and regulations of the Scriptures. They were good at that. Yet Jesus says... Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter heaven. Now, the righteousness that heaven requires is perfect and flawless righteousness. Listen to me. It is perfect and flawless. Heaven demands perfection and seamless conformity to the righteousness of God. Heaven requires a perfect submission to both the letter and the spirit of the law. The Pharisees were conforming to the letter. They were dealing with the external. They weren't dealing with their hearts that were raging for sin inside. So what? It's impossible. Perfection is an impossibility for fallen humanity, yet that is the heaven's requirement. So what it, this righteousness has to, on one base level, it, it, well, in the, the main level, it refers to a person, and the next it has to refer to a positional righteousness that must be a reality before we can ever get to the place where righteousness is a reference to our life practice. Let me draw your attention to some Scriptures for a minute. Help you understand what I mean by this righteousness refers to a position 
I want you to take a little trip with me to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, first of all, Romans chapter 9. I want to read to you beginning in verse 30. I want to read to you down through chapter 10 and verse 4. Romans chapter 9, and, and then I want to go over to Romans 3, and then I want to end up at Romans 5. Not going to expound really on these, but I do want to read them to you and make a reference or two. But in Romans 9, verse 30, Paul says, What then shall we say? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. <laughs> that is a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, and by the way, this refers to the Jewish religious leaders and what they taught the people of Israel. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Chapter 10, verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have zeal for God. They have zeal. That's pretty zealous, memorizing the Scriptures, copying the Scriptures. They have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Oh, that's good stuff. Flip back to chapter 3 of Romans. Chapter 3, starting in verse number 20. For by works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. By the way, that's why with the Pharisees, when they developed all these extra rules and regulations to try and help them keep what, the, what law was revealed, it only exacerbated the problem. It didn't help them keep the law. It caused their hearts to rage and sin deep within. And that's some of what Jesus teaches later on in the Sermon on the Mount when He talks about, you've heard it said, you shall not do such and such. But I tell you. And then He tells you the spirit of the law in it. But anyway, um, beginning in verse 20, he says, for, he says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, for since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But, but, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God 
through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And then I would take you over to chapter 5 and verse number 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those passages talk about a righteousness that is only known in a person who is Jesus Christ. Those passages talk about a righteousness that is not established by conformity to the law because we would never be able to conform perfectly to the law, but one that is realized in Jesus Christ. Now, to tell you something that's a little interesting and will mess with your mind just maybe a little bit, but I'm not really trying to, Over in chapter 5 and verse 6, and in most places where you find the word righteousness, the Greek word is dikaiune. Dikaiune is also translated sometimes justice and just and justification. And so I ended up with those passages that talk about righteousness and sinners being justified. And what justification is, for those of you that don't know, that is the glorious good news of the gospel that we who are sinners, we who could never earn the righteousness of God, through the blood of Jesus, we are positionally made righteous as He is righteous, just as if we had never sinned. That's called, to give you another Greek word, euangelion. You say, what's that? It's good news. (laughs) Good news. That is the good news of the gospel. And so for us sinners that are incapable of achieving the perfect righteousness that is what heaven requires, the righteousness we must hunger after and thirst after and be satisfied by begins by hungering and thirsting after a person who is the righteous one. It begins by longing for that righteousness that He gives to us positionally. And because we have been now declared righteous in Jesus Christ in our lives, we now also hunger and thirst that that righteousness would be lived out in our practice. But it doesn't start there. That brings me to the third aspect of this righteousness. This righteousness refers to a person. This righteousness refers to a position. This righteousness refers to a practice. 
We cannot truly say we hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ and have been given His perfect righteousness if we do not hunger and thirst to see this righteousness lived out in our lives. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees refused to come to Jesus. They refused Jesus. You know what they did? They, because... They studied the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures. They, they wanted to honor the law. They were trying to establish their own righteousness. They had made... You know what they did? They had made an idol out of a code of morality in trying to establish their own righteousness. And in doing so... They shut the kingdom of heaven in their faces and in the men's faces of others who followed their foolishness. But here, we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness in practice like a Pharisee. The Pharisee did it for their own glory. We, as lovers of Jesus, do it for the glory of Jesus. We do it so that people will praise His name. What does, just matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 5, right after Jesus gives the Beatitudes, He says this, He says, He, he goes down and He says in verse 16, He says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's why you do it, to give glory to God. Not to you. Not so you can pat yourself on the back and think, well, I don't have that sin problem. I do much better than that. No, it's not like that. It's not about you. It's about God and His glory. And that, and that alone is why we hunger and thirst after the righteousness in practice. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is not a mere desire to do, but a desire to be. Not just to do righteous, but to be righteous. To be, what I mean by that, if Christ is righteousness, if He is, it is to be like Christ, by Christ, from Christ, in our practice. Literally to, as Paul would say in Philippians 1 and verse 21, to live Christ. We want to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. To not just do righteousness, but be righteousness. And that is what, listen, that is what is our lives are like before we see Jesus we're, we've been justified, now we're being sanctified, and we're working out the salvation we have been given. We're working out that righteousness in our lives, and we're progressively moving towards, in this life, moving toward the perfect expression of that righteousness, which we do, do achieve in glorification when we see Him and are as He is. That's what the Scriptures teach. Not that you have arrived, but that you're on your way. Okay? Nobody has arrived, but we all, if we have by faith come to Christ, on, we're on our way to being like Him. My question to you is, do you 
hunger and thirst for righteousness like that I have described. Do you? Because, remember I said this beatitude, now we're getting to the part where grace is flowing out of us when this other grace has flown into us. Do you see the evidence of this grace flowing out of you? Not that it's bright and brilliant, but at least a flickering flame of this grace flowing out of you. This hunger and this thirst for righteousness like I've described. That is evidence of the new birth. I would remind you that John tells us plainly in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 10. He says, by this it is evident. Evident. Who the children of God are and who are the children of the devil. I I could stop there. You, You realize everybody's not a child of God. Matter of fact, until you are rescued by God's grace in the gospel, you're a child of the devil. That's why the Bible talks about being transferred and translated from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of His dear Son or into the kingdom of light. But anyway, he goes on and says, This is how it is evident who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Here it comes. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And speaking of loving your brother, I, I don't, I'm not going to go into it today, but we could also talk about how this righteousness in practice, it is one that is, is, it relates to God, um, but it also how we relate to others. And there is an aspect in which we um, must be striving to relate to others in just and right ways. But we won't go there. Do you reflect this righteousness? Are you hungry and thirsty for this righteousness? If not, I tell you, if your sin disturbs you, and you know you cannot do anything about it, then you need to cry out to Jesus Christ. He will have mercy upon you. Go to Christ. He will not turn you away. Read John 6. If you do, then praise God and give glory to His name. You have an attitude of grace. It's the result of His grace. Give Him the glory for it. And though your hunger and thirst for it may not be quite like it should be, it is there. And I pray by grace it will grow. And we'll talk about that hunger and thirst part tonight. But this is God's Word to you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they, they alone, will be satisfied. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for this morning. Lord, we thank You for another